The scripture passage today comes from two places in the gospel according to Matthew. The first is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The second passage comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement... A man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart.
is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, good morning. Pretty heavy scriptures. If you um, if you grew up in a Christian home or in a Christian community or in a Christian home in a Christian community, you might not understand just how out there, how bizarre Christianity really is. And a lot of people don't believe what they believe. As a matter of fact, it's very foreign to them. And you don't really have to go to that remote an area to find people who think that um, these ideas are foreign. Even in the greater Pasadena area, you can find some of them. An example. Before we got married, Austin had a roommate at her apartment in Pasadena. As a matter of fact, she had two roommates, kind of interesting, two roommates with the same name uh, that consecutively followed each other. Um, the first roommate was called uh, Jean Yip, and the second roommate was also Jean Yip. And not a real common name, but they just they both wound up being in the same apartment. One was Korean, one was uh, from Malaysia. But the first Jean Yip was a devout Christian. And she was one of those hardcore Korean Christians who'd spent a couple of days fasting and, you know, come out all tired, but, you know, all enthused about, uh, about the Lord. And, uh, she would just keep going and going. And then when she moved out, a second Gene Yip moved in. And this Gene Yip was not a Christian. And I didn't really spend a lot of time talking to her, but on two or three occasions, I spent a long period of time talking about forgiveness and what Christians believe about forgiveness. And this idea kind of fascinated her and repulsed her at the same time. It was just, it was something so, she wanted to get this grasp on it, and yet there was something strange about it too. Well, English wasn't her first language, so there was a little bit of a language barrier, but it was more than the language barrier. She pretty much understood what forgiveness was, But what really confused her was to have this concept so central to the belief system of a a major religion. And really the only change I saw as a result of our conversations was that uh, she wound up reading her Buddhist scriptures a lot more. So maybe she was looking for the idea there. But one big difference between Christianity and what most people in the world believe is that forgiveness is has a central position in Christianity or a central place in Christianity. A lot of our major doctrines, our teachings, salvation, redemption, atonement, they dance around this concept of forgiveness. Now that doesn't mean that other religions don't have an idea of forgiveness. It's just not as central to the whole system as it is in Christianity. Buddhists and Hindus have this idea of karma. You do right, you do what's good and you get good karma. And you do what's wrong or what's bad and you get bad karma. And so it's much better for your future if you accumulate good karma and get rid of the bad karma. And it winds up being an eternal justice system. You do well and you get rewarded. But forgiveness, it just flies in the face of that whole justice system. You should do well and you should not do bad things. And yet forgiveness says that even if you do bad things, it's not counted against you. In Islam and in other systems, your eternal destiny is largely based on whether your good deeds 
outweigh your bad ones. And that's actually one of the reasons behind um, this idea of martyrdom in Islam. If you do this one big good deed at the end of your life, you could really tip the scales in your favor. God does reward good, and he does punish evil. Our own scriptures say, as a man sows, so shall he reap. But then there's this thing called forgiveness. What is forgiveness, and how do we get the gist of what this word means? What's the idea? What's this concept? Well, to really understand forgiveness, you have to understand holiness. God is holy. He's different from you or me. He's perfect. He's good. He's righteous. He's holy. He's pure beyond any purity we know. I'm going to read the words of uh, the prophet Isaiah, a real common passage. A lot of you probably know it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. He was in the presence of, of the living God and got this glimpse of God's holiness. In the year that Uzziah died, about 740 B.C., I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the the King, the Lord Almighty. That's what it's like to be in the presence of the living God. There's this feeling of unholiness, unworthiness, that you really should not be in that presence. There's also a story from the the New Testament about a, a fisherman named Simon. And Simon had caught nothing all night. And Jesus asked him to put down the nets for a catch. Simon protested, but he did what Jesus asked. And the result of which they caught this huge number of fish. And Simon had a similar reaction. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. So when we're in the presence of this holy God, we have this feeling of we shouldn't be there. We're we're not worthy. But generally, without this exposure, without this awareness of God's holiness, we don't recognize our own weaknesses. We don't confront ourselves with our own sinfulness. It's like uh, a car painted white. You always know when it's dirty. Now, for years, I had a a brown Ford Fairmonts. And I could go for months without washing it. And uh, sometimes I did. Because you would never know when it was dirty. Just no awareness of it. But you get a car that's like nice and white or even a nice black car. You could see the dust on it. But there's this general unawareness of our own sinfulness, our own need for forgiveness. I'm going to read to you another Old Testament story. This one's from Second uh, Samuel 12. And it's about King David. King David had... Um, he was a wealthy king. 
and yet he took another man's wife. And so the prophet Nathan came to him. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from him taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. So to our own sin, our own sinfulness, we are blind. We don't see our weaknesses. We don't even think we have a problem. I uh, I work in a middle school in Los Angeles, and I had a, a student who was up for expulsion, and he wanted to come back to the school. And he was talking about all the problems that he had in school, and yet it just never occurred to him that the problem was more internal, not necessarily having to do with the the people around him. And amazingly, most of us are like Josue. The problem is external, we think. Yeah, you know, the people around me, the people I work with, my wife and kids, you know, all those people, they're really causing the problems, but I'm actually okay. But we don't realize that we don't even deserve to stand in the presence of the living God. But thank God it's not all about what we deserve. See, Christians are special. We are a forgiven people. We pray, forgive us our sins, our debts, our trespasses, because we know that we have them. The rest of the world can be in denial, but we know we fall short. What needs to be forgiven? The word used in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew is debts. Now in Luke, it's more along the lines of sin, but in Matthew, it's debts. You know, debts like your mortgage, your credit cards, your student loans, the money you owe to your grandma, debts. When we sin, it's like we owe something. There we are, the whole karma idea again. Of course, you really can't take that debt analogy too far. Suppose someone got drunk and drove their car and ran over your, one of your children. How big a check could they write you to make up for it? The debt analogy falls short, but that's the analogy that Jesus is using here. Let's go to our parable, our story. A man owed the king... 10,000 talents. Now, how much is 10,000 talents? It's a lot. little footnote on my NIV Bible says millions of dollars. But even that might be an underestimate. It may be between 60 and 100 million denarii. 
Now, Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian, recorded that Judea, Samaria, and Idumea paid a tribute of 600 talents. And we're talking 10,000. Now, the king could sell this man and his family into slavery, and that was um, what he first proposed to do. Would that really pay the 10,000 talents? The highest recorded sale of a slave was a thousand talents and these people were probably worth a lot less so he's probably just doing this because he was angry writing off the loan yeah he's not going to get that much for them but he might at least feel better but what does the king end up doing he cancels the debt imagine having all your debts paid it's like that with your sins being forgiven Instead of having the the mortgage, the home equity line of credit, the credit cards, student loans, the gas cards, the loan from your great aunt Sally, it's all paid. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I know some people would probably rather take the first deal. No, just pay off my debts. I I don't need my sins forgiven. But the essential message of Christianity revolves around this idea of of forgiveness. The core message is something that we call the gospel. Jesus died on a cross to forgive our sins. And believing in him, we can be forgiven and adopted into God's family. It's like karma, but with a twist. I have a friend from college who's uh, in India. And he married uh, an Indian woman and is living over there now. And he was describing the gospel message to other people in terms of karma, to some of his uh, Hindu and Sikh friends. And he describes it like this. It's like on the cross, Jesus took all my bad karma away. And on the cross, I received all of Jesus' good karma. All my bad karma gone, all of Jesus' good karma is mine. Now that's forgiveness. Christians are a forgiven people. Now the ethical challenge to us is that we're not just a a forgiven people. Christians are a forgiving people. Let me read some of the portions of the scripture read earlier. Uh, Matthew 6, 12, and then 14 and 15. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will will not forgive your sins. Okay. So if I forgive, God forgives me, but if I don't forgive, God won't forgive me? Now that sounds like a a pretty heavy burden. Because a lot of us in interacting with other people, we get burned. And we get burned badly. Um, to fall back on uh, Asin's pre-marriage roommates. She had another roommate who uh, had an interesting life, kind of a soap opera type life. She got married young and helped her husband go through law school. She worked so that he could go to law school, and then he completed law school, started his practice, uh, and as he was starting his practice, they adopted a son, 
And then as his practice started to get going, he left her for somebody else. Now that's a, that's a pretty harsh message. And for some reason she found that there was this uh, tape series at Gavinu Church, like Gavinu Congregational Church at the time. And the title of the sermon was Forgiving the Unforgivable. And she was uh, pondering whether she should get this. Now, I don't know if Austin told her about it or if she saw the sign when she went by, but she she was asking, you know, should I pay $2 for this tape? Is it worth it? And my response to her was, well, if the message actually does what it says and helps you to forgive the unforgivable, it's worth a lot more than $2. And if it doesn't, you're only out $2. So it's kind of like... Uh, betting a long shot on the racetrack. Yeah, might be worth it. Well, let's go back to the parable. I'm going to read, uh, starting at verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay you back. Well, how much is a, a denarius? What is this amount? Now, my NIV text note says a few dollars, but it might be more than that. If we're thinking of a denarius as a day's wage, it's probably more than a dollars. But even if it's a thousand or a few thousands, it's a lot less than the amount that he owed the king. Okay. So, Mike, what you're saying is that God forgave me, so I'm supposed to forgive from the heart. Now, intellectually, theologically, biblically, I know I'm supposed to do this. But in real life, I feel what I feel. I mean, people hurt me, and I have a right to be angry. And that's true. But God's asking you to give up those rights. Now, I like the part. I like the part about God forgiving me. But I'm not sure I like where this is heading. There's some really bad people out there. Well, C.S. Lewis once said, if you're going to practice forgiveness, maybe don't start with Adolf Hitler. Start with your family. They're going to do something to make you upset. And uh, when, uh, when I was preparing this sermon, my wife kept asking me, what examples are you going to use? Because uh, within a family, you could use some really good examples. I mean, she's done some stuff and I've done some stuff. And uh, we've, uh, we've forgiven each other. And I'm not going to go into any of those. But I found that being a gracious and forgiving person generally makes you do things better. It makes you more effective in your job, more pleasant to be around, a better spouse, a better parent, a better family member. Before I became an assistant principal, which is what I do right now, I worked with an assistant principal at my old school, and his name was David Holmes. And what I noticed about Mr. Holmes, or David, was that he was just a gracious person. People would enjoy being with him. He heard people out who disagreed with him. He didn't harbor bitterness. Yeah, you know, people did the wrong thing. You know, he tried to fix it, but then he went on. And see, I had this picture that as he moved up in an organization... You're supposed to just be more forceful. But to be effective, it's not about being more forceful. It's about just being better. 
And graciousness is a part of that. Practice forgiveness. You'll get better at it. You'll make mistakes, but that's part of your practice. And pray. There's a reason it's in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, the prayer time could be a time where the Holy Spirit reveals to us what specific sins we need to be forgiven of, as well as who it is that we need to forgive and why. Forgiveness needs to be a regular spiritual discipline. It needs to be a part of your daily prayer life. Um, I had my pocket picked on a bus in Montevideo, Uruguay. And I felt it being picked, and I turned around and uh, I confronted the person and wound up that he had uh, a number of friends on the bus who also surrounded us. I did get my wallet back. I didn't get any of the cash. Actually, I did get some of the cash in my wallet back. He took only dollars. I had uh, I had money from Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay in there, but he only took the dollars, interestingly enough. But I did get my wallet back, which is good. But it took years of uh, praying for me to be able to forgive that person, even though I never saw him again. Like... This person like haunted me. I always wanted like to to go back to that bus and like you know really take revenge. But uh, it took years of prayer for me to not harbor any ill will toward that person. But the best example of forgiveness is not my being able to forgive a pickpocket on a bus in Montevideo. The best example of forgiveness is Jesus Christ on the cross, saying, "Father, forgive them." They don't know what they're doing. Now, after the Lord's Prayer, there's kind of a little supplement, a little addendum here. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men your sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I have to forgive to be forgiven. What's the other passage say? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Okay. Now this sounds like we're earning our forgiveness. We're building up our karma. Or do we really get all of Jesus' good karma? Now, if we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, aren't these verses inconsistent with that basic Christian doctrine of we're saved by grace through faith? Isn't this a works righteousness? Well, let me give it a shot in trying to put it together. If unforgiveness dominates your heart, you probably really don't have faith in Jesus Christ. But if you truly believe your eternal destiny was changed by the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you could probably forgive the lady who said you burnt the chicken at the church barbecue. Now, that doesn't mean all your relationships are going to be perfect and suddenly, by having faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to get along with everybody. You're going to offend people And they're going to offend you. And that's just part of being a human being. 
Now, at First Baptist Church of Pasadena, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love worship and serve God. And disciples, as one of my professors of Fuller wrote, disciples are the forgiven who forgive. If you follow Jesus Christ, forgiveness is who you are and it's what you do. It's a regular part of your life. I wrote a little prayer, and if you're up to it, you could stand with me and pray this prayer. Um, You could sit down and pray it if you want, or you could uh, just listen. But for those who would like, we could pray it together out loud. Let's pray. Father, you are a righteous and holy God who has no tolerance for sin. And we admit our inability to live up to your holy standard. We have offended you and hurt those around us. We thank you that we are forgiven by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Give us a greater understanding and gratitude for that forgiveness. Help us to be a gracious and forgiving people. Keep us from being bitter and judgmental. May our gracious lives be a testimony to your graciousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.